super excited about what God is doing here. And I'm going to talk tonight. Um, I'm actually going to break a preaching rule. It's probably the first rule. It's an unspoken rule, but it's rule nonetheless. I'm going to read you an entire chapter of the Bible at least. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? <laughs> uh-huh. I just believe that the word is enough. I'd rather give you more of his thoughts than mine. You're welcome. So, that's what we're going to do. But first, I want to tell you, how many know, How many of you have ever had like a vision before? You knew it was from God. And I'm sorry, the ACs are trying, everybody. They're trying. I know it's a little warm in here. I'm wearing two shirts and sweating like a big one. It's okay. Uh, the, if you've ever had a vision before, raise your hand one more time. Yeah. So, if you've never had a vision before... Um, you know, I would, I would actually ask you a few questions and you probably discovered that you have had a vision. A lot of times we think that we're just imagining something when God is trying to speak to us. Amen? Yeah. How many know that God made your imagination and your brain is not evil? Yeah. Did God make your imagination? Yeah. Yes? Did he call it very good? Yeah. Have you been restored to the garden? Yeah. Then you've got a beautiful imagination and you're supposed to use it for God. And God wants to speak to you through it. Amen? Come on, he actually imagined you. You're made in his image. He imagined you. You're the you're God's dream on the earth. You're his wildest imagination. Some of you are a little more wild than others, you know. But, uh, I'm one of the wild ones. He had a wild imagination and I popped out. Anyway, I had a vision once actually in this room on a Saturday night at a church called Legacy that meets here on Saturday nights. I had a, it was actually my first, what I remember, my very first, like, potent vision of the Lord that I can remember. I said, yes, that was definitely from God, and I definitely saw it, you know, all this stuff. So I'm going to tell you that really quickly, and then we'll, we'll keep going here. I was actually sitting right there where you are, sir, in the very back in that corner, and they were singing this song. I don't even know the name of the song, but it had all these names of God, and it was, like, super chanty and tribal, and I was kind of... I was still um, a recovering Baptist at that point, uh, and so it's not a bad thing. I love the Southern Baptist Church. It's, it's my roots. I grew up there. It's beautiful. But how many know? I, well, you might not know, but I grew up in a place that said, like, healings didn't exist anymore, things like that. And so I'm recovering from those mindsets. That doesn't make you Baptist if you uh, think those things or whatever. Whatever. We honor everyone even though we don't agree on everything. Amen? So I was recovering from those things, and... Not used to the charismania, you know, the crazy that's going on in this room, which I now love, right? And so I was just a little out of my element. You ever been in church and you're like, oh my God, what? how did I get here? Some of you probably felt that way tonight, you know? <laughs> like, what if this, is someone going to hit me with a flag? Am I going to get, what is it? Am I about to get picked up off the floor and carried around the room? I have no idea what's about to happen. I felt like that, okay? So I'm standing there, they're singing this song, it's like, Yahweh, Yeshua. It's like all these names, and it's like start rocking with it. I don't know, Arnie, you can probably tell me the name of the song. It was just like, it was just like making me do this. I'm like, oh, hey, this shit I love. It was like this chant, and it just caught me up, man. I just got blissed out and caught up. I got really swirly. And if you don't uh, think that this is biblical, you know, uh, Paul, Peter, on. Simon the Tanner's house in the book of Acts. I don't remember the chapter, but you can look it up. When he had the vision of the, the blanket with all the animals in it, you remember this? He had first pigs in a blanket. Did you like that, Richard? I'm waiting for a Okay. <laughs> first there were pigs in a blanket. He's like, I can't eat that. God says, take and eat the word. When he says he was in the spirit, some of your Bibles say that. But it was a trance. It's the word ecstasis. He was in a state of ecstasis. As in ecstasy. 
Like he was like, whoa, this is awesome. Like blissed out of his mind. It was not no, mm, Lord, I cannot take any. No, it was like, what is going on? So that's used multiple times. Paul talked about trances, all this stuff. Anyway, I'm not going to preach on the doctrine of trances, which I need to come back to. But anyway. <laughs> I like to shake the tree at the front, see who can get to stop listening to me right at the beginning. That's fine, you know? <laughs> so, I had one of those moments right there, man, and I did not plan on it. I was not expecting it. You know, I'm just like doing this, and you know, Yeshua, Adonai, Rabbi, I don't know the words anyway. And I bang hit the ground. I went under the chair, like in the fetal position, like my legs and feet are this way, my head is that way, you know? And I saw before me. I had my eyes closed, but if my eyes were open, I'm convinced that I would have seen this. This is what happened. I saw a bride dressed in her wedding gown walking through a house, and it was like this big castle-type house with these big hallways. She walked through this house and found this big wooden door. I can see it like right now. This is like seared in my memory. I've never even written it down, but I tell it the same way every time. And this is actually something I don't tell publicly all the time. I've only told it a couple times publicly, but I felt the Lord say, release it. So, She's walking through this hallway, and she comes to this door, and it's this big wooden door with two, you know, like, like kind of have to, like, do this to open. You know, it's not like you just open it, or you, like, swing them open. It was those kind of doors. And she opens the door, and inside the room is all this brilliant light, and Jesus is inside the room. And he's emanating light from within himself. The light in the room is Jesus. So I'm starting to pick up what's going down, you know, here, and the bride was entering into the bridal chamber, okay? Nothing weird happened, but this was the wedding night. This was just the vision I had, the wedding night of the bride of Christ, you know? And so she goes in, and they're in the room together. Nothing weird happens, whatever. But then she knows she has to leave the room. She knows she has to go back in the hallway, so she opens the door. She feels compelled, actually, like she needs to go into the hallway, into back into the, where she was. She opens the door, and it is pitch like, like, Blacker than this stage, like you can't see your hand if you reach out in front of you black. You know what I mean? Has anyone been in darkness like that? Like really, really dark. And so she freaks out a little bit, knowing she has to go out into the dark, but like, you know, scared of the dark. Like she can't, she doesn't want to go out there. It's dark, she can't see anything. So she thinks to herself, I'll close my eyes because I won't be able to see anything anyway. I'll just close my eyes. You know? You ever, you know, done something silly that's like doesn't make any sense, but it makes you feel better? It was one of those things. So she closes her eyes. She walks out in the hallway. And before long, she's tripping over something. She's bumping over something. And she's got her eyes shut. And she's feeling around the wall. She gets hurt. And she injures her leg or something. She crawls back to the room, gets in the doorway, opens her eyes, and there's the light again. And then this happens seven times. She goes into the hallway, gets hurt, comes back, crawling back in the room. Into the hallway, gets hurt, come back into the room. Into the hallway, gets hurt, come back to the room. I think you get it. And then she goes out the seventh time. And she has a fatal flaw where she trips to the point where she doesn't have time to put her hands up. And it's like cuts her legs out from under her. She's falling. Her head is about to hit the concrete. And it's going to be, it's over. This is, this is the end right here. You can't recover from a fall like this. She's got her eyes shut. But right before she hits the ground, something catches her. And out of the jolt of being caught, like, who's touching me? She opens her eyes. And she looks up and it's Jesus. I'm sure you assume that. But what she didn't realize was... He was filling the hallway with light and walking with her the entire time. But her eyes were shut out of fear. 
And I heard the Lord clear as I'm hearing my voice right now. He said, I have a closed-eyed bride walking with the light. Open her eyes. As clear as I'm hearing my voice, I heard that. I have a closed-eyed bride walking with the light. Open her eyes. So I felt that was pretty important. <laughs> a pretty important vision. I got up off the floor feeling a little weird. And from that day, I have been on this journey of discovering what it means to be a part of the bride of Christ. What it means to be pure and faultless in His sight. What it means to, to walk in a way, in a manner worthy of the calling that I've received. What it means to be holy as He is holy. If God tells you to be holy, that means you can't. It does, it's not a like, it's not a sadistic thing like, come on, be holy, but I know you can't. Like, what kind of father does that? Like, for me to tell Judah, come on, walk to me right now. That'd be mean, he can't walk yet. But when he can, I said, come here, little man, come on. And he will, right? Because he's able. If God says, be holy, you can. <laughs> That's just the truth. And so... In, in that thought process and in that, I want to, I want to read to you um, out of Romans 6. I want to read to you out of the Passion Translation, uh, only because of its, its freshness and its, its amazing just wording and all that. But I need you to know that I've, I've read this personally in about, mm, I lost count after 55 translations. Um, I'm a translation junkie. You can read it in whatever you want, but I want, to, I want to read it to you in one way. But first, I want to give you a little contextual synopsis. I'm going to have to click into teacher mode, okay? Here's teacher. Here's teacher Caleb, all right? So I'm going to break down to you the context leading up to Romans 6. But it's kind of, this is broad stroke. This is not all of the details, but I'm just going to give you the bullet points, okay? Romans 1 through 3. Say 1 through 3. That's basically explaining that man without God is very bad. That whole, those whole three chapters. Man without a relationship with God, bad juju, bro. It's bad. It is not good. Cannot happen in a nice way. That's where you get the righteousness is filthy rags, all that stuff, you know? And it talks about how you cannot, no one can please God. That's Romans 1 through 3, okay? Say man without God equals very bad. That's Romans 1 through 3. And then Romans 4 through 5, again, these are broad strokes and bullet points. I'm not giving you everything. Is explaining the idea of being justified by faith. Meaning just when you believe in Jesus, you say yes to Jesus, and all of your sins are forgiven. Amen? Does anyone have a problem with that? I don't think so. But do you know, about 500 years ago, they had a big problem with that. The first Reformation was centered on this justification by faith alone. They, did you know that there was a time on the earth where people did they weren't sure that you could ask Jesus into your heart, you could ask Jesus to forgive you, and he would actually forgive you. Can you imagine that church where you're like, uh, please forgive me, I'm not sure if you do. But now we're like, come on, the, you know, the normal Christian would know your sins are forgiven, right? Amen? And if you don't, let me let me tell you something. Your sins are forgiven. And as soon as you say yes to Jesus, He forgives your sins, past, present, future. Come on, all of your sins were in the future when Jesus died on the cross for you. They were all future for everyone in this room, right? So you are forgiven, done. That's justification by faith. They say justification. justification. Just as if I never sinned. That's the best way to remember. Just as if I never sinned. Justified. Yeah? That's Romans 4 and 5. Now, Romans 6, 7, and 8 is sanctification and the new life of the believer by that same faith. 
Sanctification is a big fancy word for holiness, righteousness, set apart for use. And there's an argument um, in the church that sanctification is for heaven. I think that's the silliest idea ever. If it needs to be set apart for holy use, what are you set apart from in heaven? What what the heck is it good for up there? It's not good for anything. Like, I'm set apart from nothing. Yay, awesome. And I shared this two weeks ago when I talked about Galatians 2.20. But Adam Clark, amazing theologian, said if you're waiting till death to be set free from sin, you have crowned death your savior and not Christ himself. If you're waiting till death to be set free from sin, then you are wait, you are crowning death your Savior and not Christ himself. And I got one Savior, bro, and it ain't my checkout date. All right? Yeah. It's not the day that I die. All right? So we're going to read this in uh, the Passion Translation, Romans 6. And yeah, I'm going to read a lot of the Bible to you. I love the public reading of Scripture. I love it. It's important. All right? So again, Romans 1 through 3. Come on, quiz time. Man without God, very bad. Say very bad. Very bad. Romans 4 and 5, justification by what? Faith. Just as if I never have sinned, I can believe and boom, done. Romans 6 and 8, sanctification by faith. Now I'm holy by that same faith. All I have to do is what uh, Pastor Scott Smiley on. Believe. What is the work of God, Vanguard? Believe. That's right. The work of God is to believe. That's it. Come on, I, I kind of spent nine months convincing them of that. So, anyway. That's our school. I'm sorry. I'm giving you no context. All right. So Romans 6. We have just come to the sanctification idea. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, say in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Yes. Now that is not talking about heaven, people. That would be the most obvious thing to say. That would be the most shallow statement in the world. We're going to walk in newness of life in heaven. A duh. No duh, Paul. Right? This is talking about something happened at the cross and you became something new right now so that you can live differently the light of the world Christ in you the hope of glory you can be a city on a hill this is to draw all men up to Jesus this is not to get you into heaven it's to get heaven into you so that you can be a vessel of the righteousness, peace and joy of the kingdom of God this is not for you to go to heaven people that's the gospel of salvation that's not the gospel of the kingdom and we talked about it, but I would call that one a partial gospel. Just about you getting to heaven, living like hell all the way there. Not okay? <laughs> right? Come on. Okay. Not meaning to scare you. If you want to read along with me, uh, the Bible version app has the Passion Translation, if that helps. It's going to get better, buddy. I promise. I'm doing the best I can. All right. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here it is, Romans 6, verse 6. The sixth book of the New Testament, sixth chapter, sixth verse. Uh-huh, some of you got that. We know, say we know. We know. You, you're gonna if you don't. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. All right, so what's starting to happen here is you might start to notice that this sin word is being used as a noun. It's actually used 17 times in Romans 6, and only once it's used as a verb, something you do. Did you know? No longer enslaved to sin. That's not a verb, that's a noun. That's a person, place, or thing. Say a noun. Yeah, you're still listening. Good. So we're talking about being set free from the entity of sin. Sin is not just something you can do. It's an entity that wants to enslave you. And it has enslaved the human race. And that's why we need a, a savior. That's why we need rescuing. Romans 1 through 3. Man without God. Very, very bad. Justification by faith. And now that I'm justified, I get to walk like it. I get to walk sanctified, walk holy. Come on, I'm talking about faith invading your space, your everyday. Like your attitude. <laughs> like your character. Like you should be more kind after encountering Jesus. Yes, you should. You should be more peaceful when you come out of the prayer closet. I see some people come. I've just been praying for nine hours. And they're like, look all beat up and angry and something. I'm like, go back and ask for somebody else. Because I don't know who you were talking to. <laughs> for real. For one, verse 7, who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Now, let me back up. Did you notice that verse 4, it says, We were buried, therefore, with him, and by baptism into death. Did you ever wonder why burying by baptism, buried with him, co-buried, comes before co-crucified? Did you notice? Buried comes before crucified. How do you get buried before you die? I think it's because the Lord wants you to enter into his rest before you get a revelation of his sacrifice. I think it's because you must enter into his rest to get a true revelation of the sacrifice of Jesus. you got to get in the tomb first and snuggle up with Jesus. <laughs> you got to stop trying. you got to stop trying to make you something and rest in what he did. Yeah. The rest comes first. He takes care of the rest. When the rest comes first, he takes care of the rest. That's the truth. Verse 9 again. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Say, that's pretty good. That's awesome. Death has no dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Say once for all. Uh, say it like you drank a Red Bull. Once for all. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Not dying to your flesh, dead to sin and alive to God. Dead to sin and alive to God. That doesn't sound like a suggestion. You must consider yourself already having died with Him. Come on, I'm talking about this mystical thing called co-crucifixion. You were on the cross with Him. You were on the cross with Him. One, one nail, two hands On the cross with him You don't even get your own Sorry <laughs> Crucified in union with him Come on For the death he died, he died to sin Once for all, so the but the life he lives, lives God So you also must consider yourself dead to sin And alive to God in Christ Jesus Verse 12, let not sin there, There's the noun again This isn't something you do, we're talking about an entity How do you remember that in uh, With Cain God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must have mastery over it. Sin is crouching at your door? 
That means he hasn't done anything yet. It's crouching. It's an entity ready to pounce. You need to realize there's a true enemy and it's not you. You need to wake up to the reality that you've been set free from the entity of sin. This chapter in the ESV, I wanted to put a picture of it. I can show you. It's boxed in my Bible. It says in the ESV, you've been set free from sin. You're dead to sin. No longer enslaved to sin. Sin will have no dominion over you. You've been set free from sin. Set free from sin. That's what it says over and over and over. Set free from sin. So you might ask, why am I still sinning? Because you don't believe. You've been set free from sin. What is the work of God, Scott? To believe in the one whom he has sent. I'll, I'll bring my own in and I'll do it. I don't care. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Are you hearing this? To make you obey its passions. Come on, sin has passions that you might have obeyed this week. But that doesn't make them yours. Let not sin reign in your body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin. Come on. As instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from dead to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin, this is a promise, guys. This is a promise. Where are these promises in the church? I'm, this is part of my thing, opening the eyes of the bride. Sin will have no dominion over you. Come on, when are we going to believe that stuff? Sin will have no dominion over you. Come on, if something in your life doesn't match that, start confessing the truth. Sin will have no dominion over me today. Thanks, Paul. That really helps. For just as you once presented your members to 
as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, when you were, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time of the, those from the things of which you are now ashamed? What fruit were you getting from doing that junk? Right? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, how many times does he have to say it? <laughs> and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You need to see that there's a present reward for both sin and obedience. The present reward of sin is death in your body. Dying. The present reward of obedience is a life of sanctification. There's a final reward, too. A dead, also like completely dead. There's dying and there's dead. That's the end reward of sin. The end reward of obedience is eternal life. There's a present and an end reward. Yeah, I don't have time for that. But then it says, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but, come on. I hate, man, I cannot stand it. Oh, mercy. I cannot stand it when they put it on the screen. For the wages of sin is death, period. Not what it says, bro. The wages of sin is death, comma. I know what that means. Do you know what that means? Let me just keep reading. I just, I mean, it's a revelatory thing, apparently. The wages of sin is death. Same thing happens in Romans 3 when they say, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, period. No, there's a comma there. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by the free gift of righteousness in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pretty good ending to the sentence, bro. I'm just saying. The wages of sin is death. But, say but. Big but in the Bible. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where are you? You are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7, verse 1. I have to hurry here. Do you not know, brothers, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Talk about the law of marriage. Say the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called adulterous if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, right? Logic, two plus two equals, that's adultery. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, say likewise. This is verse 4 of chapter 7. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Come on. Are you supposed to bear fruit for God in heaven or right now? He has a closed-eyed bride walking with the light. There's a few brides with their eyes open tonight. I can feel it. He is your sanctification. Christ Jesus became unto us justification and sanctification. You don't have your own holiness. Christ in you is the only hope of glory you've got. We're discovering the holiness of Christ in us. You're not going to discover it any other place except in you. 
But if you believe that you can't be holy as he is holy, you ain't going to discover it. And you're going to walk as a slave to sin. And whoever you, will, you will present your members to as obedient slaves, you're a slave of whom you choose to obey. Here's the difference. And this is, this is what I'm going to end with right here. The difference is once you say yes to Jesus, you get the choice of who is going to possess you. It says we're a people for his own possession. And the beautiful thing about when God possesses you, it still gives you a choice. The possession of God doesn't remove your free will. But he still possesses you through and through. I'm possessed by the Holy Ghost. And I'm free to do whatever I want to do. That is the mystery of Christ in us. How, if I have this perfect holiness in me, why would I do those things? Good question. These are great questions. Now we're talking. Instead of the other thing that says, oh, you're going to sin nine times for nine a.m. Monday morning. I'm on a vendetta to kill that crap. Is it possible for you to sin? Yes. Should it be probable? Absolutely not. I'm talking about true holiness. By faith, without striving. I'm talking about bearing fruit for God. I'm talking about going from the wedding chamber to the world. That's what the dark hallway is, just so you know, in that vision. Going from the wedding chamber to the world and living like light all the way there. I'm talking about being the light of the world in the secret and in public. I'm talking about your thought life, your imagination becoming sanctified through and through. I'm talking about you imagining the thoughts that God has and none other. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about practical application of His holiness and sanctification. That's what I'm talking about. I believe it can happen. I believe you can walk out of this room and be holy as He is holy. Because none of His commands are empty of power. When He says it, you can do it. And He said to the woman, come adultery, go and sin no more. Was that an unattainable goal that He gave her just now? That would be really cool if it was. Right? Come on, he is looking you in the eyes tonight with those eyes of fire and saying, go and sin no more. And if you ever sin again, which is what 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, if any one of you sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the Lord, the righteous. If, say sin, is an if, not when, situation. Sin is an if, not when, situation. And if it ever happens again, which would be so unlike you, bro, to sin again, you're filled with the glory of God. You're filled with the whole fullness of God. He didn't do that to you. He did that to you. It's not even your fault. He just said yes, and it happened. Now you get to bear fruit. The bride walking with the light with her eyes wide open. Bears fruit by default. Amen? I'm talking about sanctification by faith. That's... That is, I'm telling you, I'm just hitting all of my lines in the sand. This is this is a flag in the ground, guys. This is what the resting place believes. That sin will have no dominion over us. Yeah. Yeah. We believe that stuff. My team believes that stuff. I believe that stuff. And you can belong no matter what you believe. It's fine. It's fine. We're not going to be upset with you for believing something else. I know it can get pretty intense and like do the crazy eye thing at you, but it's fine. You can disagree with me because honor is not agreement, right? We talked about this. Honor, everyone, is our first core value. So if you think something different, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Let's talk about it. I'd love to hear it. I may be wrong about this. 
Oh man, I mean, is that just so weird for a preacher to say? I may be wrong, because I see it as a glass city, but I know that I am no longer enslaved to sin. I know that sin will have no dominion over me. I may be wrong, but I'm confident in the fact that the word says it, it's the truth. 